Hey guys, Troy Casey, Certified Health Knot here at CHNHQ. This is the last week to get my free stress management course, a $300 value, absolutely free, when you order the hardcover of Ripped at 50, A Journey to Self-Love. I packed everything in the book and I packed everything in six hours of content in the stress management course. It's my gift to you, absolutely free, in this pre-launch period right now. This is the last week to get it. Click on the link below. Hey guys, Troy Casey, Certified Health Knot, here with Owen Cook. I've been following Owen for a while on the internet, saw him on Elliot Hulse's channel there for a while, and was very interested in all your personal development around psychology and how we are in a dynamic system and we're social beings and how we get along. And the way you explain it is like nothing else. Now, I've been able to see him live in person and uh, it's extremely dynamic. So can you break it down for the people and give people the tools, uh, the psychological tools to help their mental health on how we interact and interface with people and, and what is your wheelhouse of expertise? I love what you teach because a very big fascination of mine is seeing outside of the matrix of social conditioning. So we have the basic ideas of how the world works and then some people are willing to push beyond the edge and look at things through their own eyes rather than how they're told to look at it. So I think the average person, they can be a little bit low functioning at times, frankly, because they just don't challenge themselves or maybe they're not taught to challenge themselves or maybe they don't eat the right foods to even be functioning enough to challenge themselves. And so what happens is that they struggle just to even understand or grasp the basic level understanding of anything, right? right? So say what you do with things like the breathing techniques. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other understanding that the average person would think is kind of weird or outside the box, right? Mm -hmm. So in the same way I grew up understanding social skills at the most basic level. Like I wanted to understand things about how to socialize, how to be a cool person, how to get along with people, how to come across as high status, maybe how to date or things like that. And so for me, I just couldn't understand any of that. And so I would look at resources like GQ Magazine or AskMen.com and I would think, okay, maybe I could do better socially if I got a cool watch. Or maybe I could do better socially if I cleaned my car. Or if I got a cool haircut. Or maybe if I got a cool house or went to a good college, I would have more respect. So when I was in my early 20s, I had this really, really bad breakup. And it left me completely shattered because it was the first girlfriend that I could ever get. And I decided that I should try to fix this area. So the first thing that I did, and both of our sons are upstairs right now making noise, so <laughs> bear with us. Um, the first thing that I did was I thought, okay, I should try to make some good money, get into a good college, get a house. And literally I got in, I'm, I'm from Canada. I got into one of the best schools in my country. I, at age 21, owned a pretty sick house. I had a brand new car. I went out and this was like 20 years ago, got a watch that was worth maybe like 2,500 bucks. But you know, in this day and age, I'd be like having like, you know, a $6,000 watch or something like that. By today's standards, like 21 year old. I went to the gym like crazy, got in the best shape that I could. And I was thinking that if I was in good shape and I had a cool house, I had a car, I had a, a fly watch, went to a good school. I thought, okay, if I were to do that, I would get along with people or I could attract a better mate or I would come across better if I went to a party or things like that. But what happened was nothing had really changed. I was still very introverted. I was still very stuck in my head. I had very little social awareness. And so I'd go to that party, you know, wearing a cool watch or maybe I have a house or car that nobody can see. 
Nobody at that party really cares what school I'm going to. None of that stuff really made any kind of impact. You know, my car was clean as per what GQ told me, but that wasn't gonna do anything. And so I was still struggling. And so the first thing that I did- Struggling with? Uh, socially. I mean, I, I could not, I could barely talk to anybody. Like it was completely crazy. Men or women? Nobody. Yeah, I was just completely introverted. And uh, to be honest, I was probably suicidally depressed also. I would think a lot about ending my life. And um, I often, sometimes I would just walk down the street and I wouldn't even see a reason to walk home. Like I'd be like, why am I gonna walk home? Like I hate my life, this sucks. And I just saw no incentive to keep going. So what I like about what you do is that it takes courage. The average person is unwilling to go outside the bounds of how they're told to think. And the reason why, in my view, my personal view, is that it is, it is a survival strategy. It's like they wanna be at the middle of the herd, like, just following orders, I'm just in here, I'm not thinking any different, I'm not making any waves, I'm not gonna give any contrary opinions, anyone who's doing that is bad, is bad. And you can, and you can see this in mainstream news, because they tell these jokes that are clearly not funny. They're like, well, Bob, it's chilly out there. Make sure to double up on your jacket. And they're like, oh, you got that right, Bob. Little chilly. <laughs> like, this isn't funny. This is not funny. And, and it's funny to them within the context that that's the socially okay humor. Watch this, it's a little chilly. And a lot of our thinking about whether it's nutrition, whether it's about social skills, whether it's about making money, whatever it is about lifestyle, is within that little box of like, just, just doing the nice little thing. And that's basically what you call herd mentality. So there are some benefits to herd mentality. Don't get me wrong. I don't think anything is all bad or all good. I think that one of the cool things about herd mentality is that if you're somebody who can't think for themselves, you just can't do it, can't handle it to think for yourself, then you don't want just any whack job telling you to do this or that or the other thing. So you kind of wait for the mainstream to sort of put it through its incredibly slow, typically about 30 to 50 year behind paradigm. They kind of chew on it for 30, 50 years. And if the idea is okay, 50 years later, that is okay for you. I remember at one point, McDonald's, they, they, they released that they had the egg white um, egg McMuffin, right? And this, this was like 20 years after the egg white fad, which by my understanding, that's actually viewed as not even a positive anymore, just to eat egg whites, right? So like, they're literally like, we caught up 20 years later, even though like the cutting edge of, of nutrition is, would actually be like not against the, the yolk, supposedly, right? Supposedly. So I, I know it's always changing, but basically that's a lot of your information it's like you're that mainstream person eating the egg white egg McMuffin and you even think it's healthy because it's called the egg white egg McMuffin. You're like, it's just the egg whites. And, and that's where you're coming from. So a lot of my information coming up was the same way as far as social skills, which basically what they do is they take truisms that I think are, are beautiful, but they warp them to hold you back. So some of these truisms that I, I think are so beautiful would be things like just be yourself. Like, how great is that? What a beautiful truism to just be yourself. But what they do is they warp that and they say, they take, they take the most ultimately true truism of just be yourself. This may be the most important thing that a person could ever learn, but they use that in a very deranged way to, to tell somebody who really is shrinking in life, 
is a 5% version of who they could be, isn't challenging themselves, is being lazy, perhaps being negative, and then they use the gist of be yourself as a way for them to stay the same, as if somehow they would get social approval for being a 5% version of themselves, for being negative, for shirking, for, for being a coward, for not maybe being very funny or cultivating their social skills. And so that ultimate, like almost like a, like a Zen spiritual truth of like, just to be yourself, that at the highest level is this ultimate truth. They take that beautiful truth and they dumb it down and they use it to fool the person so that that person will essentially fit in a little box and be a cog in a machine. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because, you know, what part of the self do you just want them to be? The part that you don't like? <laughs> Exactly. What right. about what about that part? Yeah, just That's... work your little job. Just shut up. Just shut up. Work your little job and just be yourself in your box. <laughs> right? Or love like love conquers all. Like this beautiful beautiful truth. Like love love conquers all, right? Many people who have worked in their spirituality. You're going to get into the spiritual bypassing? Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, like love conquers all. Yeah. It's this beautiful spiritual truth that like at the core level of core levels. We see that in LA all the time. We do. Yes, <laughs> love will conquer all, right? But so now what happens is that you sit there, let's say that you have a problem in your dating life. Just be kind. Just be kind. Yeah, just be kind. Like again, like this beautiful truth, like the ultimate truth, like when all is said and done, when, you, when you're coming towards that later phase in your journey, that ultimate truth of just being yourself, be kind, be loving, is so powerful and true, but you feed that to someone who is not in a paradigm to know the deeper truth of that, and you know, take somebody who, who struggles with dating, and, they think, and you tell them, love conquers all. So they're not gonna be, the, it, just, just be yourself, and love will conquer all. There's someone for everyone. Well, when you look at that, at, you know, they got to deal with that rejection. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? Like, like it's such a, like, I don't disagree that you should be yourself, that love is the ultimate reality and will conquer all. And that there's someone for everyone. I believe that, but that took me 20 years to understand. And for the average person who's just learning about social skills, the way that they're going to interpret that is going to be, Okay, so if I just sit there, I'm an introvert, I, I, I don't make any waves, and someone will love me like this. And then they walk through life, and they think that they're going to be at the, at the Whole Food. Someone, you know, someone's going to drop a can. It's going to roll over to them. They're going to step on it, look up, and they're going to fall in love. They're like the movies. Married. Yeah, like in the movie. You know, and that by harassing someone who you don't even know and are not even romantically involved with, saying, I just love you. I love you, I love you, and why don't you love me? Then what's gonna happen is they're, you know, so they're, they're taking these beautiful truths that, I mean, and who would disagree with that? Who would disagree with these truths? But they're, they're taking it in a way where someone is not learning, like they don't even know who they are because their true self has been suppressed and has had so much dumped on top of it and they're not even awake. From there, they probably don't even understand what real love is. Love is unconditional. It's not love will conquer all, like you're this pathetic little creature and someone's gonna give you what you need and feed you what you need and your little codependent validation seeking reality, right? That's not love, but so that person may not even know what love is and, um, you know, be kind. Well, what is kindness? The, the average person probably thinks that kindness is something that has a, uh, a condition on it. Like, well, I bought them a beer at the bar. 
Why did they just walk off? I thought I could just buy them a beer and they'll give me what I want. And so we have to begin to work through these paradigms. This say, is, I mean, this is a, this is a clusterfuck of like social. And, and how do you argue against it? Are you saying, are you against love? Are you saying not to be yourself? Not to be kind? What are you saying? And, it, and it's just, it's a complete, it's like, and, and that's the thing you'll learn in life is that often, the, you know, the devil comes with this beautiful, like many of the most, the most deranged evil things in the world have the most beautiful little package facade. on the outside, that beautiful, beautiful facade. So in learning about social skills, we have to say, okay, look, we're going to go past the surface level thing. And like, and it's okay to look a little bit deeper, right? Like in the same way, like if you're going to go make money, it's okay to look at how to make money. So if you want to work on social skills, it's okay to want to do better. But it's very, very hard to get people past that because let's say we were to make two statements, okay? So one statement is be the best person you can be. That's a well-regarded statement. But if we say, let's work on how you're coming across and how you present yourself, that's a little bit more contentious because people wonder, okay, well, okay, be, be, like, be a high value person, but I don't know if I like that you're working at how you're presenting yourself. But the truth is, with working on how to present yourself is that most people are stuck in a loop that society, our modern society has kind of put them in, unbeknownst to them, which is number one, they're carrying a lot of trauma. Much of that trauma can come from childhood or come from any level of experiences. So anybody who's ever studied spiritual growth, you've probably bumped into this idea that we need to remove trauma. We need to release trauma, remove trauma, um, we do a ton of work on that. Which also can be a big trap too, like dragging through the mud. I agree, too backward looking. So how, so how can we break this down for a nice little concise you know, package for the people out there? Like what are the big things to, to look for out there where we can just fucking be ourselves, man? Yeah. You know, and, and we got a shadow too. Yes. We, we got a dark side. Yeah. Or sometimes I, I, I got to stick up my ass or I'm constipated yeah. or and I'm not feeling very good. How uh -huh. can I accept myself for that? And then also keep showing up as that authentic person. Like where's the happy medium? Because it's, it seems like we've weaved a very interesting web yes. that's become a trap. It, it's, the, it's the continual paradox in anything we're in self-help between self-acceptance mm -hmm. and self-improvement. So we wanna be working on accepting ourselves, but we also want to simultaneously be working on improving ourselves, right? It's like the way that I think of the cross in Christianity, just how I think of it, is that this is like you know the depth and that's the breadth. Mm -hmm. So the depth is that ultimate self-love but the breadth is improving ourselves. It's like there's more, but we also have to go deeper. We have to go wider and deeper. So half of what I would ever teach somebody would be on ultimate self-acceptance, but the other half would be on improving themselves to their potential. So let's bring that back to your story because you yeah. have an interesting story. Yeah. So because I, I think you can apply that to your whole, because basically, you're probably pretty similar to the same wounded guy that was back then. You've just accepted yourself and you've worked on yourself yes. to present yourself in a certain way, yes. but there's a deeper level of acceptance. Yes. Because if you were socially awkward there, I still think you're kind of that way and that's what makes you amazing. Yes. 
Yeah. Am so, I am I right or yeah. am I right? Yeah. So you're right and right. So what it, so so <laughs> so what it is is that you you work on getting better socially, but you also work to improve to accept your social quirks, mm -hmm. and then it actually makes it powerful. The acceptance of those quirks makes it powerful. So. The main point that, I, that we were getting at was this idea that we release trauma, okay? So, that, so one is that society traumatizes us. So that we have to let go of. Mm -hmm. The other is that society conditions us to be narcissistic. It conditions us to be obsessed with ourselves. So imagine you take somebody who's incredibly obsessed with themselves and who's very traumatized, and the two are kind of feeding off of each other. Mm -hmm. What that does is it creates a reality where the average person is trapped in their mind and they don't have the mental bandwidth to realize how they're coming across to somebody else because all their mental bandwidth is monopolized on escaping themselves and then feeding their own self-image. Mm -hmm. And so let's say that you were to go talk to someone socially, you're sitting there and you're terrified about rejection, you're continually micromanaging how you're coming across, you're not able to express freely, you're not, it, it's a lot harder to be funny, it's a lot harder to be off the cuff, your voice is gonna be contracted, like, like, I bring up clients all the time on stage, and their voices are completely contracted. They have no ability to be able to talk and talk. They're stuck, and they're disconnected from all these incredible powers that they're born with because what's happened is there's so much focus on themselves, mm -hmm. and there's so much in trauma that they're too contracted. And what I have to do, the work, the work that I do, is I have to press on them and get them to push through that. And you'll see when they're pushing through that, when their voice becomes explosive, like you'll see these guys come on stage and I'm like, okay, so show me, like yell as loud as you can. They're like, uh, and I'm like, and now you're not gonna hear this properly because the microphone's capping what we actually sound like. It's gonna limit it. But basically what it is, I'll do public speaking for like 500 people, close to a thousand people in some cases. Even without a microphone, my voice can expand to fill the room and I'll, I'll have a mic to the camera, but not necessarily to speakers. Sometimes I use speakers too, but the reason why and you know, again, it's capital. I'm like, eh, like that's me at like 30%. Mm -hmm. eh, that's me at 30%. Again, that's cap, but like the neighbors can hear that. So the reason why I'm able to do that, it's not vocal technique, although vocal technique doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm not thinking about what others think of me mm -hmm. in a way of fear. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm also not contracting my energy by being narcissistic and focused on myself. When I'm going, eh, I am the room. It's like I'm not, I'm not contracted into myself. So having amazing social skills basically means you've got to first get it in your head that you're super traumatized, that you're totally narcissistic and obsessed with yourself, which means that anytime you go out, how do you look? Are you going to get embarrassed? Are you going to get rejected? What are you going to look like? And for that same, for, for those two reasons, you're, you're, you're trapped in your mind, you're not able to be funny, you're not able to be talkative, you struggle to initiate conversation, and when you do, it's probably gonna come across very creepy because what's happening is that you're coming at the person in a way that's not relevant to them. It's only relevant to you. You care how you feel and what you want, but you're creeping them out because you're too trapped in your mind to consider how they feel and to have empathy. So. In effect, I'll bring guys on stage and I'll get them to yell and they believe that they're loud. I'm like, go, eh, and they're like, eh, and I'm like, do you think that's as loud as you can talk? And they're like, that, that was really loud. And I'm like, no, I, or I'll say, hey, audience, was that loud? And the audience is like, no way. And it will take me often 30, 40 minutes of working through it to unlock their voice. Then I'll try to unlock their ability to talk and talk and talk, which immediately comes 
when they're no longer micromanaging themselves and being narcissistic. They make themselves part of the group and they merge mentally into the group to how to add value to the group instead of making it about them, which is all that self-judgment. So what that means is that, let's say I were to tell them from there to go to a bar or club, they're gonna come across as higher status, not because they're gonna sit there screaming, but that's just more unlocking their natural potential, but also they're able to talk and talk. Now here's the big key, and then we'll go back to my story. So the big key what happens at that point is that they're actually gonna have a shift in their brain neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So their serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine, GABA, this is gonna shift. There's a great book about this, you might wanna look it up, it's up to you. Even if you understand the premise, you don't really need to read it, but you might enjoy reading it. It's called The Winner Effect. And basically what it explains is that when you are winning, or at least when you feel like you're winning, it actually shifts your brain chemistry, it shifts your hormones, it shifts your awareness, it changes around everything, right? It's like you're able to punch through the wall instead of punching at the wall. You're promotion-oriented, looking at all these cool opportunities, rather than prevention-oriented, thinking everything that can go wrong. So what happens is you get out there and you start socializing and you're in this unfiltered mindset and what winds up happening as a result of this is that everyone loves you or if not everybody, like 90% of people love you. Like you go out to a bar club and you be, it's like you're in the movie The Wedding Crashers and you're the star. Like everybody's having way too much fun with you. They've never even seen somebody who's as fun as this like maybe ever. Then what happens is that because everybody's into you, you get so confident you start to become more expressive, you become funny, and then, more, and then what's, it's like an upward spiral because then more people get into you, then you become more expressive and funny, then more people get into you. Maybe you meet someone you like and you're like, not gonna happen, and you say it, not like, not gonna happen like that, but it's congruent, it's real. Like someone maybe who you're talking to is very attractive and you're like, not gonna happen, and they're like, I love you, because they've, they've never been challenged like that before, right? They're, they're not expecting that, and, and they, they're being literally like the most funny, charismatic, popular person in that venue, you know, is having so much fun with them, is friends with everybody, and is like, no. And they're like, I love you! Like, they, they, they lose their minds, and then when one loses their mind, other people see that, and now they start losing their mind and chasing you, and then you have all this social proof, and you're having the best night of your life. Now, here's the thing. As far as your social life, your dating life, that goes through the roof. Like, that, that becomes ridiculous. Like, that, that, it just becomes a problem. Like, who am I going to call back today? Like, who am I going to disappoint by not calling? It also means that if you ever want to get into a very deep romantic relationship, you're choosing from abundance of who you'd get involved with romantically, because most people, they're just choosing whoever would have them. But you're actually going to be able to find your perfect soulmate. Why? And not the person you think is your soulmate from scarcity, but your real soulmate. Why is that? Because you're, you've met so many people, you, know, you actually can see who you'd get along with, who you'd be the right fit for. Also, if you get in an argument, you're not pandering to them, you're not terrified, so that's nice. But here's the best part. Look, for many years I've taught social skills, it's wonderful, right? We, we see really fun results with it, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, it's positive, it's win-win, everybody loves it. But the thing that actually, or everybody, everybody who gets to know the content loves it, right? People who don't get to know the content, they could interpret it in their weird truisms and their kind of herd mentality. They may not like it, but anybody who's ever been out with us, they have like the night of their lives. It's like a lot of fun. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful moment for me to bring people out and let them see what it's like to have just a night of just beautiful togetherness. It's like the town square and everybody's having fun. It's like the way that life should be where everybody's having fun with each other that becomes your reality. Instead of everybody sitting on their phone or meeting each other through some dating app, which like, you know, could be cool, but there's a whole other way of doing it where everybody has fun with each other and, and it's just everybody has a blast. So that's the baseline. But see, 
I'll take it a little bit deeper because you asked me about my story. Yeah. And the thing with my story is that me growing up, rather than having a winner effect, in, a, in, a, in reality what I had was a loser effect going. And what that meant was that my brain chemistry was off because I'd had so much negative social feedback. So even if you're somebody who's not even that social and you're maybe more of an introvert and you don't even really care if you're meeting a lot of new people, maybe you're not worried about your dating life, that's fine. I wouldn't even, I, I'm not even here to, to dispute that. Everybody's different. But what I would say is that if you're in this mode where you feel like people don't like you and you feel like people aren't excited to engage with you, in my experience what happens is that it actually shuts down the brain neurochemistry. And so what happens is that it actually limits the amount of creative thinking and the amount, and the amount of conviction that the person has in their mind. So one thing that I teach a lot is that the way that somebody's communicating is often an external representation of the way that they might be thinking inside themselves. So if you're able to think really laterally, right, you're able to talk and talk, and you speak with conviction or positivity, that's often an, an external manifestation of the way that you're thinking to yourself in your own mind. And so what happens when you kind of switch on that winner effect is that all of a sudden, I mean, first of all, I'd be very interested to know about as far as, I would just be curious, just curious myself, I don't know the possible health benefits of being in just a great mood and feeling awesome for years at a time. I mean, myself, I haven't been sick at all, not even a common cold since 2012. I don't know what caused that, but I could definitely say that lowering my stress level um, from feeling like just confident with myself, I would just be curious about that. Maybe we'll do a study someday, I have no idea. But the other thing is that it's, as far as business applications, if you're, if you're somebody who's able to say, go out to a bar club and have fun with everybody and think laterally and think outside the box and be confident, well, how's that gonna manifest in your business life when you're thinking about your next business idea? Especially getting out of that narcissism where you're trapped on yourself, getting out of that trauma, letting that go, and just thinking at your full capacity. So what happened to me was I wasn't thinking at my full capacity. And I grew up feeling suicidal. I grew up just wishing that, I, wondering if I would even want to go on. I really, really struggled with meeting people. And there's sort of an undiscussed below the surface element that a lot of people don't want to talk about in our society because they're afraid to confront it, which is that if you have someone who's unpopular and they're being socially rejected and at every point they attempt to communicate and to connect with people, they're being socially rejected, what'll frequently happen is that they go into a darker and darker and darker place. There's a movie called The Joker that covered at least an element to that. It actually was a lot deeper. I mean, if you look at that movie, The Joker, um, that movie really wasn't about the Joker. It was really about somebody who's just isolated, mentally ill, and has a lot of things gone against them, right? And I think that that movie was so popular. I mean, one was the acting was amazing, but it, it was popular because it showed a common thing that's happening in our society because even though 99.999% of people are not as bad off as the character of the Joker in the movie, a lot of people can at least relate to that feeling of, yeah, the isolation, the... Um, There's a lot of depression and suicide in our, in our world today. I think it's on the rise, especially amongst men. It's a huge, huge issue. Because I think, and I think social media and I think media in general, it has, it's like the Vogue magazines, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the girls all thought they had to be skinny. They had to match up to that. And I think society has to match up to these little snippets of awesome moments all over social media where people are optimizing their lives and then people look at that and comparison is the thief of joy and then they feel bad inside. And I think 
it's, it's, uh, it's grown exponentially because of social media. And I think it's like a, it's like a social disease, if you will. And when it does, it, it creates that loser effect because they're comparing themselves. They see that they're not at that point, And then it actually messes with their brain neurochemistry, their hormones, in my opinion, according to those books. And I think I felt it. I mean, a simple way to understand that winner effect is think of when someone really likes you, how great you feel. And think of when you get a really bad embarrassment or rejection and think of how you feel. And then ask yourself, are you living there? Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, like that moment where you, you're, you're so embarrassed that you shut down and you can't think of what to say, a lot of people are living there. But conversely, think of how when you, maybe you did a, a presentation or you did a, uh, you know, someone just really liked you. You know, you met, you met the next, uh, your next significant other and how amazing you felt. Well, you can also train yourself to live there. And so that's what happened to me was that I was living. Well, that's been the, that's been the whole thing about my health journey. I felt like shit when I was growing up. I had, I had crappy digestion and, and I just found ways to optimize. I got into alcoholism and I found ways to optimize myself and just adopt them. In, so my whole life is a daily ritual. My every waking moment is like just making myself feel better. So I can actually be presentable to the world. Does that make sense? It makes huge sense. Yeah, and it's such a transformation. You want other people to have yeah. that transformation. Yeah, and I want to share it with the world. Yeah, yeah, it's a game changer. You know, it's a true game changer. And um, I think that what you're teaching, it's anything that you can do to show somebody that you don't have to take society's narrative. You, like, you can, you, you, you also don't have to be opposed to society's narrative. Like, I think there's a lot of things in the mainstream that are amazing, but you can choose it for yourself. You don't need to just take the script. You can go off of the script and you can get huge benefits. Like I, the way that I imagine someone who's really kind of optimized their potential is that they're doing a combination of things like, on my end, it would be the things that we teach. They're, the ability to connect with others is huge. On your end, the ability to master your health, and that can be done in so many different ways is huge. I also think that things like wealth building, a lot of people don't truly understand wealth building or how to build systems, which is really sad because they're gonna work a job that they hate, and then they don't have that sense of purpose. I think that's massive. And then the really big one that you also mentioned is that self-acceptance. It's the inner work, because the quality of your consciousness in many ways is gonna be the quality of your life. And so if you can kind of get that kind of health, wealth, relationships, at higher purpose down, then you can create a really, really powerful foundation. And then if you wanna go impact the world in some huge way and take this ultimate journey of like really giving your ultimate gift, yeah, that's, you know, it puts you in a great position to do that. So someone who's, who's maybe newer to this, they could be well, struggling. To me, it's a natural progression. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can't just keep this to myself. It's like, mm -hmm. and I see the world around me and I'm like, let's all have a good time. Mm -hmm. And it's totally possible. Mm -hmm. That's, it is. And yeah. I know that's got to be what you do as well. I mean, at it the is. end of the day, because you want a playground that's an equal playing ground. Mm -hmm. And life is so short. You can't just let it burn by going in this like kind of loop and loop and loop. Like I would, I would say, I would ask you, audit your day. And, you know, in 24 hours in a day, let's say that you were sleeping for eight hours, whatever it is. And then another eight hours, you're working a job that you may not like. Maybe another two hours you're commuting. Well, how much time is left? Well, what are you doing with that last few hours that's just for you? And how can you begin to shift your life in a way where it's more for you? And then from there, with that powerful foundation, 
the greatest gift and where you're going to get the most joy is helping others. But you want to make yourself strong to be able to maximally help others. It's one of the things right. that makes me sad is that a lot of people that are the most charitable, for example, they, they're so altruistic and empathetic that they don't make themselves strong. They don't, they don't have that thing. Like they know how to give, but they may not know how to receive. And you want to be a 10 out of 10 at giving and a 10 out of 10 at receiving so, because that creates flow. Because as you receive, you can give more. And the, the flow is increasing. Yeah, and I, I see that, especially on the west side of Los Angeles, where there's a lot of hippie consciousness. And I say that because I'm a hippie. My parents were Haight-Ashbury flower children, and uh, so was I in the 60s. And, uh, but I see that hippy-dippy-doo concept. Like, it's all about love, man. And it's like, but they can't, you know, they're couch surfing, and they want the community to help them out. And it's, it's kind of a little bit of laziness. Now, they do have that altruism in them, um, but it's half-baked, if you will. In many cases. And, uh, and you know what? How do I know that? Because I went through that myself, and uh, I had to go through all, you know, some of my trauma as well uh, around money, mm-hmm. and I had to face it, and I'm so glad I did um, because I've become a better business person, and now I can help other people with their business. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it, Owen, is I failed my way to success, and it's just like Kobe Bryant or any other successful person has said, persistence, mm-hmm. commitment, consistency. It's like in the gym, consistency. Mm-hmm. If you just go every day, even if you just walk through the gym and maybe you look at the machine, and maybe you do a little warm up, at least you do something every day. It's that whole motion mm-hmm. and you will get some, for, some form of results eventually. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the long game like me, mm-hmm. I'm getting great results. I'm killing it. Mm-hmm. I'm crushing it right now. Now, I want to learn more from you. That's, this is going to be my big thing was, was I've had to rebuild my company a few times, and I had to rebuild my company. Um, we have an eight-figure-year business, and I rebuilt the whole thing because there was industry changes. I rebuilt it working morning till night uh, for a couple years, right? So a lot of my life back in the day, I live up in the Hollywood Hills. We would do fun parties up here, and I'd be out every night. And then with industry changes about two years ago, I was put in a position where I had to decide, like, am I going to fold up shop or am I going to, you know, take this to the next level? So I took it in a positive way where I was like, you know what, I'm going to use this to help even more people. But I, I literally wound up taking down every website, every uh, a decade of YouTube videos, um, every product that we had, uh, many of our systems, um, many of the people that liked our, the people that I work with who liked our old style of doing things, didn't want to go to the new style, lost many of them. That's years of training and worked around the clock to rebuild an eight figure year business. It was probably the hardest challenge that I've ever been through. I had to go to a, a deeper place than I ever imagined. And, that's you know, a big, that's a big hustle. It was the, I, I've never known I could dig that deep. Never knew I could dig that deep. And um, in the process, I used to love to work out every day and I used to love to do uh, a little bit of cardio every day. But what happened was I was so stressed that my joints would even lock up. Like I'd be at like say Erewhon just grabbing groceries and like my elbow would just lock Uh, up. And then I'd try to go to the gym and like my elbow was locked. And it really goes to show the downside of when you don't take care of your spirit and when you don't relax enough, like what can happen. But well, it's, it's, it's also balance, man, because I mm-hmm. went through a divorce and I, mm-hmm. my money game was... That's the thing. And, and you know what? Mm-hmm. And I, I had to go through the divorce. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was the worst thing and the best thing that happened to me mm-hmm. because we ended up getting remarried, but it made me stronger 
to go through that and it made me get my mental game and it wasn't so much my mental game and my mental power mm. it really came down to a much more spiritual element uh, an element of surrender mm -hmm. and understanding because I, I am i have a killer work ethic mm. and and i have a very sharp mind but sometimes you can wear yourself out mm -hmm. right in, internally uh, burn out. Yeah. And so I had to let go at a certain level so the, so the energy could flow through me. Mm -hmm. It's the only way I know how to explain it because for years I was like trying to figure out the marketing piece mm -hmm. and this and, and, and second guessing myself. Yeah. And I, I was capitulating a little bit too much to the feminine because of the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it's about the divine feminine. And mm -hmm. you know, I live on the hippie west side of Beth, LA. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. My wife's a really smart person. And I'm like, yeah, let me just listen to that. And I lost my way as a man, mm -hmm. literally. And I do think that we have natural roles as men and women uh, in this world. Mm -hmm. And so, and I played Mr. Mom. Mm -hmm. I, one of my businesses went down. Um, and my wife, you know, she's, she's a, in the fashion industry. She's really good, uh, business person as well. Mm. And she's like, you know, I, I got to go back and build my business. And she's like, I know how to do this. And I, I was like, we had black mold in our house. My mind, my, my, my brain fog was, and I'm trying to click away at the internet and trying to fly my YouTube channel. And I didn't really know that much about marketing. And one of my businesses went down and, and she's like, all right, I'll go back and build my business. And I was like, me, man, I take care of kids. No problem. I got this. And let me tell you, hormonally, it was like she hated me because she was working and she wanted to be with the kids. And I was with the kids and I could do somewhat of a job, but it exhausted me hormonally. And we hated each other for it. She mainly hated me because I wasn't showing up like the man. And then we had to go through the divorce. I mean, you wanna talk about social dynamics? I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's an unwritten expectation in our world. Mm -hmm. Even though we have this modern world with all this you know, feminist elements and stuff, but the way it showed up, man, my wife didn't like me. And in the end, my balls were cut off and I didn't know who I was anymore. And that's when I got the divorce, I was just like, you know what? Me, man, I figure this out no matter what, mm -hmm. even if I fall on my face. I made sure my rent was paid for, and then there was a big part of me that surrendered. I grew out my hair, I grew out my beard, and I got my bearings back. I got my intestinal fortitude, and there was something, there was something primal and animalistic. And it was like, it fell into place. And, and I also gave myself permission even if I fucked up, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm cool and I accepted myself on a deeper level. That was the other thing. And I had to go through all of that pain. So I'm not here to say that, you know, anything's right or wrong. I'm just saying that there is a social order to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that we try and manufacture and sew it up and try to be nice and kind. And I don't see that fitting into the natural big rhythms. Yeah, or the word, or the word kind and nice, is, it, it could mean a lot of things. And it could be taken in a good way or it could be taken in a way that's not helpful. I think it's condescending to yeah, our, I, I think our, are, our real dynamics. Yeah, I think you are a very nice and kind person, but I think that that can be taken in different ways. Kindness and niceness from a position of power versus kindness and niceness from a position of compensation. And if you got put into a dynamic that made you, or that 
you know, kind of led you down a path to lose yourself, then that kindness and niceness could show up in a different way that's not helpful. Totally. I can be mean as hell. And that's not beneficial. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather have my, my confidence and my bearings uh, straight and, and know who I am and accept myself who I, who I am and navigate the terrain instead of, I see a little bit of this, this passive aggressive kind of niceness mm -hmm. happening in our world. And, uh, and I fed into that and I thought, oh yeah, well, we're just being nice. But I didn't fit into that. And there was an undercurrent. And when I really felt undermined, you know, that's when my not niceness comes out. Mm -hmm. But now that I can see it a lot more, I can just recognize, that, oh, that's that over there. <laughs> you know, and I can take it or leave it. You know, I like, I like to live by the creed right now. You know, do no harm, but take no shit. And that's, and that's what I teach my kids as well. And I think it's, I think it's important. Don't cause trouble, but certainly if it comes in your way, don't take it one ounce. Don't let anybody in one ounce because mm -hmm. then they'll walk all over you. So yeah, having healthy boundaries, he healthy boundaries, boundaries are win-win. Yes. You have to have boundaries. I've learned that the hard way many times. Yeah. Boundaries are not win-lose. Boundaries are win-win so, so because you have to be able to receive to be able to give. I had a few really cool thoughts about what you said. One is that I love how you, you took that bad experience and you made something out of it, right? So if you're at home and you're, you're watching this and you are going through just the dirt, I mentioned that because frankly, when someone goes to look up something about self-improvement, it's often triggered when they're having a hard time. Mm -hmm. So if you're having a hard time, understand I've had a hard time, he's had a hard time, oh. lots of people had a hard time, and this can be your, you know, the beginning to your greatest win. And I wish that somehow, some way, you could have these great wins without the hard time. Like I wish there was some way to live life where it would just come like that, but you wouldn't be able to appreciate it. And it's going to turn out awesome if you if you use it as fuel and you use it to motivate yourself to research and to understand yourself better and to take massive action. So that's the first thing. The other thing is that you did get put into a dynamic where, um, for example, I think if someone was a stay-at-home dad but it was truly them following their purpose mm -hmm. and they felt very powerful in that role, mm -hmm. then I don't think that their wife is gonna become salty to them because of it. But I do think that if you know that that's not what- if she had to work and she's got postpartum if, I, 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 I think I think that there's so many different cases, yeah. but, I th but I think that in your guy's case, you were being taken off of your ultimate purpose. Yep. And you know, David yep. Data talks about this, yep. David Absolutely. Data. Yeah, and, and the way that that impacted you, um, what I have found is that people can be very loyal in relationships, even when you're down, but if you get affected and you show that you've been weakened, that's what makes them resent. It's what creates the resentment, right? Like for example, if I run a business and I have a significant other and my business gets smacked and I show that I've been hurt by it, that I no longer know who I am, I'm off my purpose, my, I, I would anticipate my significant other will leave because of how it affected me. Mm -hmm. But if I show up strong every day, I'm like, hey, you know, some things happen, a little bit tough right now, and I'm so fired up. And they just see you just loving the challenge yeah. and like fired up. If anything, they could be more attracted than ever. So unfortunately, we can sometimes... It's funny, because that's what I'm telling my old lady right now, man, straight up and down. I don't care, because we still get, we're remarried, mm. we're six months into the remarriage, honeymoon period's over, we get into our little tussles sometimes, but I tell her, this isn't the past. You don't work anymore, I got this. Got it. Even if I fall on my face, I got this. Mm. 
period. Yeah, because whatever you do, do as long as you're aligned and positive and powerful, even if you're losing, but you're owning that loss and it's just firing you up even more, mm -hmm. that chemistry between you and your partner is gonna be amazing. But if it starts to wear you down and you're showing up as a complainer and as a victim, or even if you're not, but you're just sort of being off, they feel that, they're sensitive to it, and they're repulsed by it. So I've had to learn that because I know that in any business you can have ups and downs, and I don't wanna drive away whoever is with me because I let it get in my mind. So I don't wanna let that loss take up real estate in my mind, and I've had to learn that over time. The other thing I really like what you said was that you had to learn the art of surrender. So when I was going through rebuilding my business, which I've had to do a few times, it's been a pretty crazy journey, um, the biggest lesson that I took out of it was I can work from when I wake up until when I go to sleep if I stay in a state of surrender. So it actually got to the point where I learned two main skills from that. Number one was I learned how to, I, I learned how to do just a ton of work, but actually gain energy from it because the work became a meditation. So I would, I would, because I knew that what I would do would be so difficult. It would be like climbing such a big mountain and, it, and the, the top is so far away that if I would just stay present and enjoy each movement. Mm -hmm. So rather most people, they, they kind of hate their job mm -hmm. and then they kind of wait to maybe go watch a movie or get drunk or hang out with their friends or whatever. I would learn how to just enjoy like just seeing my hand move, watching myself take a pen, watching myself type, watching myself edit a video, watching myself in, like, in the same way that we're mm -hmm. having fun now just talking, I learned how to just have fun with no matter what I did. Likewise with public speaking, I started doing a lot of live events and some of them are like, you know, five days, like full, five full days, okay? And I mean, I could be on stage for, um, you know, 14, 15 hours a day for five days straight, just belting it out, you know, filling up the room. And I have a pretty big ego around my teaching and I have a pretty high standard for myself. So like, it's, nobody will put more pressure on me than myself. So when I go in there, I'm just aiming to create something for the ages is my mindset. And so I'm giving everything of myself, every drop of emotion, every, every transformation that I'm doing with the people that I'm working with, I'm, I'm, I'm taking on their energy and, and you know, going down into their world with them. And I, I, it, it's a lot, you know, it, it really is. Um, I'm managing everything from my inflammation throughout the weekend so that my body stays fresh to my voice and if my voice is gonna go out by the final day, I, I time it to where my voice kind of just kind of goes out by the last day. I mean, this is probably a little silly, but like in my mind, I'm like, they're gonna carry me out of there on a stretcher. Like literally like, and I'm not gonna be on a stretcher, but I'm gonna be like stumbling out. And the audience is gonna see it and they're gonna say, wow, like Owen really gave what he had to give. Like the audience sees it and they appreciate it because many people have never had that experience of someone like really caring that much about them and giving everything for them. So I wanna give them that full experience. So I'm doing that and running these crazy hours or running multiple other brands, also things that I do outside this business that people don't see. Um, also a lot of the back end stuff that people also don't see. And I'm managing all this, you know, under a landscape of huge industry change and changes I never would have expected. And I'm going through this process and I know it's gonna take several years and I've gotta kinda of decide, would I rather kinda of fold this up and maybe just do my own thing, like make it kinda of more of like a lifestyle thing or do I wanna still have my vision to create something global? I mean, we have been global, but you know, like really big time. Do I wanna keep that vision and keep powering through? And look, I'm in a position where like, if I were to, if I were to switch away the, the way I run my business, 
you know, I could still maintain like a beautiful income, maybe live on Kau- my, my favorite island in Hawaii is Kauai, just go hiking every day. That's where my and, mom and, lives. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I could just do whatever I want. And it, so it's like literally, I could just go do whatever I want every day, loving life, or I could do this. But I know that it would kill me if I wasn't actualizing. The reason that for me, I feel like I'm here and that purpose propels me every single day. And so I know what would happen if I just moved to Kauai and just sort of live like a perfect lavish life. Um, you know, if I were to simplify my business and just, you know, cut expenses, not try to grow it, I would start to hate myself because I know that I, I was given incredible gifts. Like, it's almost like if you got out of jail and you left all your homies back in jail when you found the way out, like you were given that gift by God of finding the way out and you're leaving all your homies back in jail. You can't do that. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go do this. So I kept at it. And basically what I learned was that A, was to change the quality of my consciousness to be able to be in surrender and how much joy that gave me. And it's funny because I'm, I'm looking at, at like just friends of mine or just people I see out and they're being bothered by the slightest little setback. They, they can't handle almost any work. They have a really hard time locking it and focusing and any little thing throws them off. And when you're put under that kind of pressure, I mean, it, it's just an interesting transformation you can experience. The other thing was learning how to have joy even in those three minute little breaks. Like maybe you stop working for three minutes and you just start cracking jokes, you start cracking up till you're in tears. So learning how to have that leisure, but have it quick and then get right back into it was the other thing that I learned. But what I love about your transformation was that you, you, know, you got smacked down and so many people will go through what you went through and they come out of it broken. They say you either get bitter or better. Mm-hmm. You didn't get bitter. You use that as fuel to, to, first of all, cop to where you went wrong. Like you, you sought out an understanding of where you went wrong, which most people don't do because they're trapped in mainstream thinking. They're not willing to look for solutions outside of this, this little bubble that we're given. Blame. Blame other people. Mm. Not, put it, not take any of the responsibility. I did a gratitude journal for a year and a half mm-hmm. religiously. My brother challenged me to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was huge. I put a big part of that in my book because it's so simple. I don't know if you prescribe it as well, but it's it, for me, gratitude so, is like ongoing well, in my I, mind. I was complaining yeah. and I was trapped and I'm like, wait a second, time out. We live in a vacation destination. Our kids go to a nice school and we have brand new cars and we eat only organic food. And I'm like, what could possibly be the mm-hmm. problem? I was like, so I just started. And you're breathing. And I'm breathing. That's and I got fingers. Mm-hmm. And so I just, started, I just started writing. I am grateful for my fingers. As long as you're breathing, potential, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. You know, no matter how much you could lose, if you're breathing, well, and it's you're fun- ready. It's funny you say the breath, too, because a, a guy came into my life and taught me breath work. And four months before we got divorced i was sleeping on my own couch at my house facing 50 almost ready to lose my family waking up 4 a.m paranoid (gasps) anxiety just like oh my god and i just i was just like let me do 30 breaths times three right and uh hold some breath retention kind of like the Wim Hof thing. My friend taught me, it. Uh, he went to the Himalayas and learned it. And I was just like, woke up in the morning. <sighs> it was almost like putting myself through a forced panic attack. And that cleared my mind and the gratitude journal and a couple of other things that I did. And I just 
kept moving forward, mm -hmm. kept moving forward. And now the breath work is a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just grateful for everything. Rain, yeah. grateful. Cold, grateful. Yeah. Could, could I ask you a couple of questions about the breath work? Because yeah. some, so, so many of you watching this are watching this on his channel and you've seen this before, but there's going to be people who kind of mosey over from my channel. So maybe I could ask you yeah. a bit about it. Yeah. So even if it's repetitious for yeah. your viewers. So, well, I have a couple questions, but then some basics as well. So some of my friends have told me that doing hardcore breath work could even create like almost like this like crazy like DMT trip type vibe. Is that true? Yeah, because you have DMT in every cell in your body. Yeah. And when you do some of the, uh, some of the um, um, retention, mm. right? And you squeeze, you squeeze the perineum, yeah. which brings the fluid up into the, it, it basically pumps all the fluids in all the canals. And uh -huh. so I actually do it on my organs to massage my organs as well. Yeah. Because when you do that retention and you hold everything in there and you squeeze it, you squeeze it from the perineum, it actually can go up to the brain into the third eye. It doesn't happen all the time and that's why it's called yoga practice, mm -hmm. right? But I've accessed it multiple times. And what's like, just to intrigue, because I feel like I want to start off with the shocking part because I know that yeah. if someone's watching me, if you tell them the shocking thing up front, they'll be more intrigued. So like what kind of, um, like how weird can it, or not weird, but whatever you'd call it, like how kind of out there can it, well, get. I mean, so DMT. Because that's a, that's a pretty big, like, I've, I've actually been sober my whole life, but um, I've heard a lot about DMT from, say, Joe Rogan, and, like, to compare breathwork to that, that's a, that's a pretty intense comparison. I mean, I'm sure proper DMT would be way more intense, I'd assume. Well, I've had a taste of it. I've done full-blown 5-MeO-DMT and uh, gone all the way. Complete yeah. surrender, yeah. into the all, dissolution to... God consciousness, whatever you want to call it. I've had that experience and it's a powerful experience. I recommend it for anybody who's ready for it. Uh, and my DMT experiences haven't been to that level, but I've definitely tasted the circumference of that. I could feel myself going back there. And not only that, with the breath work, not only that, but it's, it, it wasn't induced with uh, any drugs or anything. It's, it's internal. So I've tasted the periphery of it, mm -hmm. but what happens after it is uh, a euphoric element. Mm -hmm. uh, it's much more mild, but again, it comes down to practice. Yeah. You've, you, heard, you, you've heard of the yogi. Did, did you see, I didn't mean to interrupt, sorry. Did you, yeah. do you, did you see things or do you go into a state of bliss? Or like, what, why, why did people make that comparison? Like, why the comparison between those? It just seems like such an odd yeah, comparison. But I've had multiple friends that told me that it, they, through breathwork, they had similar experiences to when they were on psychedelics. So I was trying to understand yeah. if that was true or if they're kind of exaggerating or no. maybe something different. No, they're not exaggerating. I mean, because I've had, I've done holotropic, which is an hour, you know, I've done that an hour long, hour and a half of breathing, which can take you into those states as well. Um, it's different than just smoking the 5-MeO-DMT, but it is similar. And the after effects are the same. You feel euphoric. You feel cleansed. You feel... Um, healed, maybe. Yeah, healed. And, um, and again, it, I think it really comes down to practice. If I was practicing it more than I already do, I'd have, maybe I'd have more access to it. Maybe if I was eating lighter, fasting more, living in the cave, you know, uh, at higher elevations, 
you know, with less material worries, you know, maybe the path of the yeah. yogi. Because you hear about the Maharishi or whatever, licking the sheet of acid and going, what else you got, baby? Yeah, yeah. You know? And so, uh, so they're in that state. And I truly believe that some of the religious iconography that we've seen in the past with the halos around, you know, these religious figures, they're in a state of bliss or orgasm or, you know, this higher heightened state of awareness. I truly believe that this is possible. That is my purpose dream. That's a big part of my legacy is to experience enlightenment in this lifetime. Mm. Um, that's my commitment to myself. And uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm definitely trying all aspects of consciousness and breath work is one of them. For the breath works uh, tips then, just for anyone watching it, yeah. from my thing would what would be a good sort of entry point to uh like the breath work i kind of want to shock them a little bit by talking about the more extreme versions but i don't think you should and be I aiming like, for an extreme version and i like to say i like to say that some of the extreme stuff i do like 30 rounds of uh intense breath work or even breath of fire where you're like that's going to put you through a forced panic attack so that everything else is gravy. Now, depending on your heart rate, your health condition or something else, maybe that's not the optimal one for you. For someone who's pretty high strung already, it's great for me. Because once I go through my daily panic attack, world is gravy, I'm calm, my nervous system is cool and everything. Is it also changing your oxygenation? Physiology, uh, the, the, um, um, the alchemy of your, um, um, your acid alkaline balance, it activates your autonomic nervous system, which is basically the God presence inside you, that which breathes you, that which digests you, that which beats your heart. Um, Wim Hof has all the research at Stanford from this. They, mm -hmm. they, they, they injected E. coli into 12 of his students, not just him, yeah. right? 12. No, it's, it's legendary. I've seen the videos of it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, so un un unbelievable, paradigm breaking. Right, so, so this type of breath work has the ability to shift your complete state. But again, if the dynamic breath work isn't your thing, you can do nostril breathing. And switch those after 10 or 15 breaths on both sides. So you inhale with one, you exhale without the, the other, and it harmonizes both hemispheres of the brain. It's slow cyclical breathing, so you're optimizing your diaphragm and you're breathing very slow. You're spreading your rib cage, filling up the lungs. This is gonna calm the mind, it's gonna calm the, uh, the heart rate, it's gonna calm your blood pressure, and this will bring you into a more relaxed state. So there's many ways to skin a cat when, when it comes to breath work. In my breath work course, I teach people uh, the stork walk, how to, how to reprogram the breathing mechanics so your diaphragm is opening up even when you're rested mm -hmm. because you want optimal cellular respiration, you want optimal uh, breathing mechanics so you can have optimal cellular respiration. If you don't have optimal cellular respiration, you have premature aging. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. So, so when, you, when you optimize the breathing mechanics, then you're breathing uh, uh, well rested. You're breathing uh, from your nose, not from your mouth. If you're breathing from your mouth and your neck, you're breathing from your panic receptors. Right? So you want to be in that parasympathetic state. You want to be breathing from your belly. Mm -hmm. right your diaphragm so it's optimized so you can you, you can work around that so the dramatic breath work and this breath work 
you know, that's, that's breath work, but you want to be in a calm state. A state of coherence is about five breaths per minute. So time yourself. Wow. You guys at home, you can time yourself. We're going to do 10 big full breaths. Okay. Ready? Don't even think about it. You can't do it wrong. There you go. So you have poetic, poetic license to just do it. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Let all the gas and the dank and the stank out of your lungs, right? And then we're going to hold on the final one. So you ready? Here we go. Open up that diaphragm. Give it all you got, guys. Here we go. Hold for as long as you can. Leave a comment in the box if you touch the periphery of the DMT. Because <laughs> I did. All right, here we go. This, this one's much easier and much more mellow. So we're going to breathe through the left and exhale through the right. And then we're going to switch. Okay, so here we go. We're going to do this a little bit longer. This is a very calming, harmonizing exercise. So, and, and we'll do it slow. Fill up the lungs, spread the rib cage. So here we go. Scrape the air on the back of your neck. It's called unjai breathing. I'll breathe at your pace, and then we're going to go slower and slower. All the way out, keep going. Switch.
So normally you can do that for eight or ten minutes, scraping the the scraping the air on the back of the throat activates the vagus nerve, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest, feed and breed. So it puts you in a relaxed state. Um, I'm going to finish off with, with, with one more that also activates the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic. So um, how do you feel? A little bit more relaxed? Yeah, just a little bit. But you could do that for eight to ten minutes, you know, or however long you wanted to. So the final one that we're going to do, you're going to put, you're going to put, um, you're going to put, what is it? How does it go? How does it go? Does it go this way? Hold on. I think it goes. Is that right? Okay. That's it right here. So you got your thumbs in your, in your ears. These two over your eyes, this one in your temple, and your pinkies right down. So basically, what you're going to do is you're going to be vibrating your cranium, right? So we're going to take, an, we're going to take a deep, deep breath, inhale, and then when we exhale, we're going to buzz like a bee, and that's going to vibrate your whole cranium. And when you put the pressure here on your eyes and on these bones here and in your ears, it vibrates everything and it activates your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve goes from your brain through uh, your heart into your gut. And so, and it regulates homeostasis. So here we go. Inhale. One second, let me see. I'll, I'll watch you do it for okay. a second. Inhale. take a deep breath. When you do it, you put the pressure of the fingers so it, so it vibrates your whole cranium. So inhale. Inhale, big inhale. It was a great conversation. Man. Thank you, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me as a guest. Uh, thanks for hearing out what I have to say. It means a lot to me. I hope it connected you in some level, and we'll be doing a video on my channel with Troy, so you can look forward to that too. And uh, we'll see you again. <laughs>